I'm quite excited to have in the studio with me who, a person who, by the way, if you've read the book, you would know it if I said nervous conditions, uh, Zizi Dangarengba, who's going to be giving a lecture at Mistra tomorrow under a very exciting theme, I thought. And I just wanted to, first of all, uh, say to her, thank you so much for uh, joining us and, and, and coming in to talk to us. And uh, welcome back to South Africa. I'd, I'd imagine, obviously, you've been here a number of times and, and done this before as well. Yes, thank you, Tzipit. So it's great to be back. So let's talk about the lecture tomorrow. So I I don't know what is happening with me. I suppose in all of my excitement, um, you know, I've misplaced the exact detail of it. But just uh, uh, just give a sense of what you'll be talking about. Okay, here we are. I was wondering where I put it. So you'll be talking about the burden of race, class and gender in the construction of post-colonial order. I mean, that is just such a huge subject on its own and very timely, dare I say, for South Africa and Zimbabwe. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is a very broad subject, but it's taken, part of that title is taken from the title of my novel, yes. Nervous Conditions, and it does deal with those very things, um, race and class and gender um, in the pre-colonial in the colonial and going into the post-colonial era. So I'm going to be approaching it very much from the same place intellectually mm-hmm. that I had been writing nervous conditions from. And that is, is that from the perspective of the young Titi uh, living on a farm? Um, or is it just a mixture of that and what you've learned having, you know, migrated at such a young age, even though you did come back and, and you've done so much, as I said, you're a poet, you're an uh, academic writer, filmmaker, are you going to coagulate all of those influences? Very definitely. Um, I was just at lunch at the Mapungugwe Institute, and we were talking about the same thing, that the more things change, the more the they, they stay the same. Exactly. So we're still grappling with the same issues. But what I bring to it now is a wealth of experience that I didn't have when I was a young woman writing Nervous Conditions. So it's actually exciting for me to mm. go over and see what insights I have learned because it's only when I start to articulate it like that that I understand also Mm. how far I have moved in my understanding and I hope to bring that also to the audience tomorrow. So for those who haven't read the book from, and I mean, (laughs) that's always the interesting about uh, Zimbabwe uh, from a political social perspective, what kind of memories it invokes and what people see about it is obviously from which prism they're looking at it from. So, um, at that age, what was your narrative back then? And 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 given the fact that there have been su- such momentous changes recently, how do you view that in line with that book? Okay, as a young woman in 1980, um, Zimbabwe had just become independent and the future looked so bright for the new country. And so we actually thought that we were moving into a post-colonial era. So for me, the focus was on gender and not so much on Mm. class and race, because moving into a free country, I imagine that those issues would largely be dealt with. And indeed, for some years after independence, it looked as though that was the case. But now, um, with the recent developments, and also remember, the world changed radically in the 1990s um, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and socialism. So that was a radical change that no one had thought about when I was a young woman. So that has also impacted on issues of class 
and on the whole post-colonial issue because now there isn't a balance of power. Mm. And so... Um, in a way, we have regressed, I would say, in terms of class and in terms of race even. And definitely when you have that kind of setup, the issues of gender once more come to the fore as well. Mm. And, and the thing about conflict, isn't it, that um, women do bear the worst brunt of it, whether it's physically, psychologically, emotionally. Um, and you, you look at what, what Zimbabwe has been through in that political turmoil, we, we've seen that with women. And I want you to juxtapose that to a black woman today having, I mean, just your book, um, you've written uh, several others, but you're the first novel to be published in English by a black Zimbabwean woman. You've written uh, a feature film which was the first to be directed by a black Zimbabwean woman. And those are, are, are huge and major strides. And, and I suppose having access to uh, the institutions that you've had access to made a great deal. But has life really changed that much for a, a, a black woman under those headings? Uh, yeah, I think there was a moment uh, post-independence where life did change, where there were opportunities. But then again, with the change in the whole world order and then the trajectory the country it took, uh, took of its own volition, um, those spaces shrunk again. So for those people who were not able to take advantage of that opening up of the space, say in the first 15 to 20 years of independence in Zimbabwe, it is now very difficult. And indeed, um, women do bear the brunt, but also young men. I mean, employment, unemployment rates are skyrocketing. So the spaces are really shrinking and they are taking more people down with them as the spaces shrink. I'm curious how you merge those different uh, platforms and, and roads and avenues because um, I was just thinking to myself the other day that, wow, wasn't it a short while ago when we were celebrating that we had a Joyce Banda, that we we had uh, the first president in Africa being Erlen jo Johnson Sirleaf, and, and that has all been wiped away. And I, in fact, interestingly enough, had a conversation with Joyce Banda at a summit in 2015 or 2016, and she was saying, and she was in conversation with the former prime minister of New Zealand who'd also been booted off, and they were complaining about the fact that we say... They, they've, you know, really gone through the glass ceiling. But just their being in politics has taken them 10 steps back. And that's one of the reasons that, they, that there is no room for women at those levels in politics. Yes, I think there is no room at the top and the spaces are shrinking at the top also. But I also think that um, we need more awareness on the ground. One of the things that would be really helpful, I believe, is if women could support other women more. If, as a female candidate, you could rely on the votes of women. But you will find that because we live in a patriarchal society, women tend to think patriarchally also. So they don't understand why it is important for them to show solidarity with other women. And so once the spaces start shrinking in one area, it's going to be like that across the board. And inter-race and class, that, that further complicates it, I'd imagine. It, it does. I, the issues of race and class, well, class is uh, obviously a very important uh, dimension in Zimbabwe. I think at the moment, 
race is not the biggest issue that we're dealing with because everybody is impacted from the fallout of the political and economic crises that we've had in that country. Um, so I think the issue of class, it, Zimbabwe hardly has a middle class anymore. And more and more people are falling out of the middle class into lower classes. And that has impact. It means those people are not going to be able to afford such good educations for their children. So there's going to be less manpower. So it's not even at an economic point of view, there is uh, there are issues to be dealt with. There's fallout from the fact that the middle class is shrinking. It's not just an mm. ideo ideological humanistic issue. But I can tell you as a South African woman, all of those things uh, put together, you've got a cauldron of, of something quite explosive because being a, a black woman in a society which is uh, set to be transforming or transformed, that, that is really a misnomer and it does really complicate things. So if you're saying fight together as women, but yet if I can look at what divides us, whether it be race, whether it be class, you know, it really does raise major issues about identity for that woman in such a society. I agree with you. And this is where the issues of uh, solidarity and communication and collaboration across groups of women becomes so important also. Because obviously any woman is going to feel more at home in a certain group than in another. But at the ideological level, at the idea of working at a social level for what they need as women, they should be able to collaborate. And I think this is something that we did not have enough of in the past. So I hope that in South Africa, that's something that you you will be able to work on mm. because you're still in that space. I must ask this uh, final question. We'll take calls 0891104209. The issue of agency that's automatically well, it's assumed that it, it is linked to government, state resources, etc. Where does that thing come in into the whole paradigm? Yes, this is a very difficult issue because, for example, in Zimbabwe, we have 60 to 70 percent of the population being rural. So those people will not have agency unless they have somebody who is enabling them, empowering them, because that's how that rural uh, society was structured we haven't been able to transform that. That, for me, would have been the agenda of an independent government to transform the dependence syndrome in a rural society into a community of people who can sustain their own livelihoods. But that didn't happen. So the issue of agency and lack of agency is real, and we need to take that into account. I do believe that that is a, an issue for the state to engage with and that the state needs to be empowering those kinds of communities mm. because as private individuals, there is not much that one can do. That has to be um, a policy issue, a national policy issue. So finally, that question about um, the various platforms, the arts, um, academia, in, in not only pushing through those messages, but, and I hate the term giving people a voice, but, uh, you know, opening the space for more voices. Yes, I do believe that this issue of opening the space for more voices is tied up with agency because if you do transform 
your rural areas, you're going to have a different kind of person who automatically has got more agency. Uh, there was a time when I worked with Professor Arthur Mutambara when he was Deputy Prime Minister, and he said to me, Titi, what vision do you have for a family of five in Zimbabwe? Well, we never got to the end of that conversation, but that's the kind of transformation I'm talking about. I have a picture of a rural family living in really awful accommodation, probably the children only having five years schooling and that kind of thing. I should have a vision for how I want to transform those people because those are the majority of the population in Zimbabwe anyway. So that's why I think that is a national question. And in fact, maybe that is where women in different platforms can get engaged to advocate for government to take that kind of transformation seriously. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Tizi Dangarimba is uh, going to be delivering that lecture at uh, UJ tomorrow University of Johannesburg under the theme nervous conditions the burden of race class and gender in the construction of uh, the post-colonial order